Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Grand Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for being here today as we prepare uh, all kinds of good information to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be. Um, you cannot talk about marketing community uh, networks without also talking about politics and politicians. The building and the operating of a public network is definitely a political process. And Sandy Oregon has done an excellent job of helping the uh, having the city staff and the political uh, establishment working very closely together to make this network a success. My guests today are Joe Knapp, who is the IT director for the city of Sandy, and uh, Jeremy uh, Pietzel, who is the president of the uh, Sandy City Council. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being our, on our show today. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, thanks for having us. No worries, no worries. There's been a lot of good stuff written and soaking about um, what you guys are up to. Let's start with a basic um, walking us through some of the uh, the milestones of Sandy Nets, uh, which is the utilities network uh, that has been on for, I believe, since uh, 2001. I'd like to get a little bit of an idea of you know, how you guys have progressed from uh, you, your beginnings that back in that time, and what was the initial uh, impetus of the network, and then what's gone on since then. And either one of you can kind of take this guy together. Both of you have been involved with this for a while. Okay, sure. I'll uh, I'll start there. Um, yeah, so the city council back in about 2001 or so um, uh, looked at becoming a, a municipal ISP. Um, and the reason was is at that time um, City Hall wasn't able to get DSL um, at City Hall. And so they, the council at that time and staff said, you know, wow, we, you know, the local telephone company wasn't going to provide this service. Um, our residents uh, wanted this service as well. And we just kind of dry up as a town, we felt, if we weren't able to provide high-speed Internet like uh, the town 12 miles away could. Um, and so that's how it kind of started for Sandy and Sandy Net mm-hmm. um, is what we call it. Um, from there... After we um, started doing DSL service, um, we um, the local telephone company started providing DSL as well. We thought we had uh, you know achieved something by okay we got them to actually bring the service to us, but we let ours run anyways. Um, and then we quickly found out that um, they didn't put much capacity in there, and so we got phone calls a lot from residents saying, "Hey, uh, I call the telephone company and they." say, call back in three months because, um, you know, they didn't have enough room. And so we realized, well, you know, that maybe they haven't completely done what they we thought they were going to do by um, bringing in that service. They weren't bringing it to everyone. So then we ended up branching out as well to doing wireless as well. We started off with 900 megahertz uh, wireless um, and then uh, quickly transitioned into um, – 
a 2.4 or 5.8 megahertz, um, gigahertz um, uh, wireless um, in and outside our city, uh, provide that service. And we ran that service here. We're continuing to still run that as a wireless ISP. Um, and uh, um, about oh, eight years ago, we started running fiber down through our business um, uh, community as well um, in an undergrounding project that we did. And we um, um, were able to bring fiber to businesses um, that wanted it at that time. Um, and now we are transitioning to fiber to everyone's home. Um, and so we went through this long process. And in the last year, we started construction last about June. And uh, we'll look to be wrapping that up here uh, by July, uh, passing 100% of everyone's home and, and doing fiber and gig fiber to everyone that wants to have fiber at their house. So that's kind of a very short answer to uh, condensed history of uh, kind of sanding it and how we started and where we're at now. And and Jeremy, what when did you get involved with the the, the network? Um, I was asked to join. Um, I'm a network engineer by trade. I do all of the um, the, the school districts in our county um, and a lot of government agencies as a network engineer. Um, and uh, when the board was being formed about 11 years ago, um, I was asked to uh, be on that board. I'm a resident of Sandy, and uh, and so um, they asked me to be part of that 11 years ago, and I've, I've been continuously on the board, um, now the chair of the board, um, for SandyNet. Now, were you were you already a city council member at that point, or did that come in later? of my career of uh, city politics was um, in getting involved um, was being on that board. And then shortly after that, about two months after that, I ended up getting on the planning commission, and I was on the planning commission for two years. And then I ran and um, have been on city council now for, um, this is my starting my ninth year on city council, and currently the city council president. Oh, Okay. So now you guys have been, you've had a lot going. Now, Jim, Joe, have you been with sending sending that as long, or have you been recently? So yeah, I was brought on um, about actually coming up on eight years ago now. So I started in uh, July of 2007, and I came into the picture as the city really as the first. Um, first full-time staff position for SandyNet. So it was run primarily by consultants, and we had an intern that was working for the city for the first five or six years. Um, and then it, it kind of got to a transition point where they realized, and Jeremy pushed hard for this politically, that if we want this to really grow as a utility, we're going to need full-time staff. So <clears throat> I was brought on in 2007 as the sole staff for SandyNet. I ran the network by myself. And when I started, we had, um, we had just really started our wireless deployment, Mm-hmm. We had just under just under 200 customers, um, and really the the initiative that City Council gave me when I when I came on was um, it, it was it was kind of a dual role, right? So I'm I'm the IT director for the city and manage the city's internal network, um, but also have this municipal ISP that I manage. So it was uh, kind of a dual role, and, and the goal that was given to me was make this wireless network citywide. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I, I saw a mixed opportunity there that's that's uh, pretty common, I think, in muni networks is we also have, as a city, we have you know facilities all over the city. And when I got hired, there was no network continuity 
between the sites. So we had separate phone systems, separate server infrastructures. Everything was was isolated um, per site, and and that was so one of the first initiatives that I thought was we got to connect these sites. We can save money. Um, we can operate more efficiently. We can we can uh, just do a lot of things if we can start getting connectivity between our own locations. And fiber obviously is the answer for that. Um, but then at the same time, you know, with the forward-looking council and the and the advice of the SandyNet board, we were able to also say, well, if we're going to build fiber, let's make sure that we're building it big enough that that we can have capacity to do something in the future, um, if and when the opportunity presents itself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the first the first several years of my career was spent. Um, deploying this wireless network, which we, we put out over 100 access points. We built several towers around the city. We used street lights to hang access points, and we eventually grew um, that network. Like I said, when I started, we had about 200 customers. Um, and when that network really got to its capacity, we had almost 1,600 customers on the wireless network, which accounted for over a third of the Internet users in the city had been moved over to our network. Hmm. So, and you've, you've also... I'm trying to remember through the sequence here. You had the wireless network, and then you shifted it out, and then you shifted it again to develop the uh, the fiber network. Is that the, the sequence, if I got it right? Yeah, we started with, uh, as Jeremy mentioned, we started with LineShare DSL. So we the, the first thing that SandyNet did was became a CLEC. Um, and again, that was all done by by consultants. This was way before my time. So we and we still are a CLEC. Um, so we we used uh, that CLEC status to do line share DSL to kind of get our foot in the door of the ISP world. And then we d- deployed uh, an initial wireless system, and and you know saw some success there. Then deployed actually probably went through diff- three or four different iterations of wireless technology over the past eight years that I've been with the city. But the the leap to fiber came um, because we really quickly, within a within really a year of having our our most robust wireless network deployed, we realized that one this is super popular. Um, everybody loves it. The price is low and the service is good. Um, but we very quickly realized that this is not going to be sustainable to continue to upgrade wireless. And if you know, it's just uh, the, our city manager likened it to um, that circus act where you're. The guy is spinning all those plates, and he's keeping all these plates oh, yeah. spinning in the air. And that's what we realized with wireless. When you deploy a network like that, you have hundreds of sites all over. And we're a small city, but we had hundreds of access point locations around the city. Um, and if any one of those went down, it could cripple segments of our network. So it was it was an, a management uh, task, I should say. I don't want to say nightmare, but it was a bit of a task to keep everything up and running. Huh. And and Joe and his team have done an amazing job at that. Let me just say that, you know, that's not an easy task, and he makes it sound easy, but uh, they did an amazing task, a job at doing that. And it was a 24-hour type of task to do. So, Mm -hmm. you know, going towards a fiber deployment was a much more, a lot more stable environment. Now, how how would you define the, the cities or the role of, you know, developing your your goals and getting funding and marketing the network and so forth. What are the roles of the uh, the staff, the city staff, the um, city council, and then the mayor and city manager? Do they all have some role in this whole, you know, the overall planning of the network? 
Well, I can start by saying that, you know, every two years in the city of Sandy, you know, there's a new election um, for half the members on the council. But also at that time, um, as a city, we we do a goal-setting session. And uh, in that goal-setting session, um, we are looking at everything from, you know, parks to transportation to um, police-type things to – and then as another department is the ISP – and at that, you know, we're able to set these goals of where we would like to see SandyNet uh, be or what they would like to do. And then shortly after that, we have our budgeting process for the next two years. And so um, so council sets these goals um, that might be high and lofty for staff, and then staff um, tries to figure out how to obtain those goals Um with the resources that we're able to provide them and then come back and ask, you know, for funding um in a way for to be able to achieve some of these these goals and then we look at those goals throughout the next 2 years and um how and the staff does to be able to to identify well that was one of the council's goals so you know we need to put resources towards that or that's how we can achieve that goal um not all goals are are, are are done right away. You know, we've had fiber on the list for a while, and now we're able to say we can mark that one off our list. But um, that's kind of how it works in Sandy uh, from the um, from the council side of it. Um, Joe can speak on uh, his side of it um, as a staff member how he relates to those goals. But that's how the council kind of positions that. Okay. Yeah, and from the staff perspective, <clears throat> it's a Honestly, the model works really well for us because you have the elected officials saying, this is the direction we want you to go. Um, And obviously, we're reporting to them monthly. Here's how things are currently. This is the state, and we're making recommendations. Um, So, you know, I think the initial idea for fiber came came ultimately from the SandyNet board up to council. The SandyNet board uh, advises council on all things SandyNet. And Jeremy obviously has a pretty significant impact there as well. Uh, as our sort of local champion for this network, but um, ultimately, uh, it's it's very nice to be able to to have that that kind of chain of of command, if you will, to say, look, this is this is what we've done with the you know if goal one, de- deploy this wireless network. Okay, we deploy the wireless network. It's really popular. Here's what the revenues look like. Here's what the the books look like. You know, the financial models. This is what we're seeing. Um, and then to be able to go to the SandyNet uh, Sandy board and, and say, hey, give us some advice on how to pr- proceed. Um, this is kind of my idea. And the board is able to give us all sorts of feedback and input. And ultimately, we're, we were able to make that decision um, up to council. And really, actually, it came through developing a telecommunications master plan. And we, we sat down as the SandyNet board and said, if we were to look 20 years into the future, where do we want to be? And the, the answer at that point was very obviously fiber. We need fiber. Um, so then we were able to go to council and say, this is what we're recommending. And council set that goal, as Jeremy said, of figure out how to deploy fiber. Um, and then I was pretty much a man on a mission for about three years to figure out how to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and so you mentioned you have regular meetings and so forth. I'm assuming, well, I should not assume, but I will, that um, the effort of, like, regular meetings by having uh, Jeremy on the board as well as being in city council helps a lot to keep 
um, all those parts, uh, the, the city manager's office, the mayor, the city council, uh, the city staff, you know, all in the same page as far as you're moving the network forward. Would that be the assessment? Either one of you. Yeah, from, from my perspective, um, I think it's I think it's critical to have that continuity of and, and that communication between all the respective parties. And Jeremy has played a big part in that. So you know, he tooted my horn a minute ago. I'm going to toot his and say he really is the he really is the the um, has been a, a major driving factor behind this network. And and you know the it's it's invaluable for for him as a professional network engineer. Um, the, the council, the other council members and the mayor have a high confidence level in his advice because he runs networks like these for the school systems mm-hmm. and other agents around the state. Um, so to have that, that level of expertise as an elected official, you know, I'm able to come to council in a staff report and give advice, and then oftentimes what happens is they'll look right, straight to Jeremy and say, is Joe being straight with us here? Is this, is this good advice? Um, and he's able to give feedback and input as well. And it's just been, you know, having that level of communication up through the board, um, through the, the, you know, the board staff up to council and with the mayor has just been invaluable, I think, for, for the success of Sandy Net. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you, uh, I guess the question would be, how would you as a community um, deal with the fact that not every city council has a Jeremy, and and what do you do to compensate for that? Because I I know that a lot of times uh, you you will have some number of the um, members of city council, and we're talking for the smaller towns in particular. Um, you know there aren't necessarily people who have that expertise, but you need that kind of expertise. So how do you compensate if your if your city doesn't have that? resource for that person. Well, I think there's, you know, a couple ways and I've I've spoken on this in the past. Um you have community members in your communities um unless you live in a dead zone somewhere in the world that, you know, doesn't know anything about internet. Um you probably have network engineers that are living with in your community already. And I'd say, you know, getting together a group of uh, individuals that kind of know technology and no networking um internet you know not just that they use the internet but they actually know how to actually um implement how to maintain and run and start one you know those type of things i believe you know there's people in your communities already that way and getting them involved and in trying to start grassroots we're kind of a grassroots operation um in the city of sandy um and bring those people together um, and have that common goal. And then, you know, you know, one will come out as maybe more of a spokes leader type thing and um, can be used as the person that would come to the city council meetings and, you know, speak on that. You know, staff is amazing, and Joe's super smart, and our council, you know, respects and loves his opinion and, you know, um, and that. But like Joe was saying, it does it does have a little bit of different approach when I'm another voting member up there and I'm able to when it's time for you know, staff has answered the questions, it's the communication across the council now and be able to reiterate why certain things are why I'm gonna vote a particular way and why they 
they should vote along with me um, in that you, it's just a different uh, place. So even though um, we rely heavily on on uh, the IT department, Joe's recommendation, my other experiences, um, as Joe had mentioned, help. And I think that's where other community members could get involved as well as being liaisons or um, um, maybe, you know, part of their local, you know, co-op like the Sandy Net Board or, you know, XYZ City's Board of ISP could be able to speak. And then I always encourage them, you know, why aren't you running for city council? Why aren't you running for those positions? You can do it too. And uh, and I think that's where things are starting to change and evolve with the younger generation that's been around uh, the Internet and just growing up with it. And, you know, our engineers already are starting to get involved and, and they can play that same role that I've been able to play, you know, for the last 11 years or so in, in Sandy. Mm-hmm. I, I would I would mirror that too and say that uh, you know just like S- the city of Sandy started the Sandy Net Board because we were running this municipal ISP, but I would say for other small communities that are interested in this type of thing, you don't have to be running an ISP to to have a telecommunications strategy and have some form of an advisory committee to the council um, to look into and explore options for and develop strategies for how to enhance the telecommunications of your community and maybe that's Maybe that's a partnership with the existing incumbent. Maybe that's the the startup of a new private company. Maybe it's a, the foundation of a co-op. Whatever the model is, um, I think it's uh, quite good for communities to really get their heads together and find those key players in the city that are knowledgeable in this aspect, like Jeremy mentioned. Um, get them together around a table and just see what happens. And then the other thing I would say, Craig, and, and I know you're a fan of, of this one probably because you attend a lot of these, is there are so many conferences out there that provide like, just super cost-effective training that if a community is interested in this type of thing, send your council members, send your mayor, send your city manager to these conferences. Let them go be exposed to fiber to the home for a week and see what other communities are doing and what other private companies are doing and what the possibility of these networks are. And I, I think there are some great primers out there that uh, they won't turn you into an expert overnight, but they'll at least get you thinking and get you some uh, awareness and understanding of what these networks are and what they can do. Right, and I'm a big fan indeed of uh, getting the members of the council out to uh, some of these different conferences. And and, and in fact, just about every state has some sort of broadband event scheduled in the next year. I mean, most all of them do. And it's a good opportunity to uh, meet folks who are in different stages of the uh, network, either planning or deployment. And so there's lots of people you can talk to, which which makes a good uh, uh, exchange of these different um, parties. Uh, and I think a number of communities are thinking about doing, you know, projects in which maybe five or ten different communities will come together. And again, you know, those things get uh, started at at conferences. So I think that you definitely want to do do those. I know that um, you know because of budget and t- travel and so forth, um, people tend not, you know, management tends to not do that. But I think that you know, in the 
the long run, this is definitely very valuable. And they're not playing hooky, and they're not playing, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. They're actually getting some work done. So you gotta, you gotta kind of push them a little bit. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, in um, your original plan. I think, wasn't it, that your network was designed to uh, meet city needs first and then it was expanded to um, support uh, other other constituencies? Is that, is that my memory correct here? Yeah, when we first deployed, when we first started deploying fiber, um, that, would, that was definitely the case. When we, um, we identified... Uh, through a, we actually did a utility undergrounding project in our downtown core to get all the overhead lines underground. And as part of that project, we installed fiber conduit to facilitate basically the connection of four of our city facilities. And then uh, a couple years after that, in conjunction with the water line project, we extended fiber out to another one of our city uh, facilities. Um, and at that point, we had all of our city buildings connected. Um, but that, as we built that fiber out, that was really the, the main intent was let's get these city facilities connected. But the, the secondary goal was let's, let's, since we're building this through the business district and we're already running this wireless ISP, let's include enough capacity on the fiber network that we can serve the businesses in this community as well that we're going right by. So uh, it, was, it was kind of a dual purpose, but I would say certainly the first, the single-minded, uh, or the, the top priority, I should say, was to get those city facilities connected. Okay. Now, do you think that um, as a strategy, you know, for communities that are now getting into this whole, you know, thinking about broadband, does it make sense to start with the city uh, use of the network as a way to get the network established and start some track record and, and get people comfortable with the idea and then branch out to um, serving uh, the various constituencies? Sure. I, I think, think you... Can. Go ahead, Jeremy. Uh, I was just going to say, I think that um, by just taking it to your own uh, facilities, you'll see a lot of cost savings, whether you're sharing, you know, um, you know that... Um, other way, however you're getting your ISP into that building, however you're doing your phone system, collapse your phone system into one phone system across you know multiple buildings. That was what it was for us. We saved a lot of money by doing that, and not in looking at that, going, hey, we can you know we're not out any money if we don't go farther with this. We're saving our own self money, taxpayer money by doing this because this is going to be what we needed to do anyways. And so I think. That um, helps out. But go ahead, Joe. I was going to say, I think, um, you know, I don't know how it is across the nation, but I know in Oregon I've talked to a lot of cities that historically the way they've handled that site-to-site -site connectivity of their municipal locations has been through an INET agreement or an uh, institutional network agreement as part of their cable franchise. And we're starting to see a trend in cities in Oregon where, the cable providers are no longer interested in providing those INETs. Mm -hmm. So um, what I would encourage a lot of cities to do is, is take a look. If, you, if you're using an INET, take a look at your, at your INET agreement and see how long you have left on that and, and start, uh, start doing the math on 
what it would cost you to build a private network to replace that. And uh, because the likelihood, if, if the trend is everywhere else in the nation, if the trend is like it is here in Oregon, they're going to start charging for those connections um, because these cable providers are starting to view municipalities as a customer rather than um, a partner, if you will, um, as, they, as they have in the past. And, and then, you know, if, if that's the route that a city chooses to go, of building their own private network to replace an INET, it's, you're, we're talking pennies per foot to upsize that cable to be able to provide um, service or facilities t to other constituents. So why, why put a 12-strand cable in when you can put a 48-strand cable or a 96-strand cable for a tiny, tiny fraction uh, in increase on the cost? I mean, it is not much money at all to upsize those cables. So mm -hmm. I think that that's a really smart way to go. Okay. Well, I think uh we'll, we'll start I think seeing more folks doing that in some parts because of the politics and it's some it is easier I think to do like well like you guys have done and Chattanooga and cities and all the sizes in between is that when they get the track record by building the network uh internally they're they're doing it they're doing it out of the public eye i mean i mean you get eventually have to give a report and all this kind of stuff i mean ultimately you get to to work in a certain amount of peace and things and you know get little piles and extra errors and that kind of thing you get to do all that kind of working on its own and then you can then break it into the the various constituencies and say, you know, we have a track record, we have uh, some excesses, we have, um, you know, we have a lot of things going on, and then you kind of can move in, I think, and get a lot of more buy-in from um, both the community and also the political structure, I believe. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll definitely see. I think a lot of that happening in the uh, in the, uh, the upcoming months. Um, now, from a deployment standpoint, you guys have built or have have divided the the state the city into four regions, if you will, and um, and you're doing the build out. In sequence along those uh, some sort of you know some order of those those four buildouts, does the uh, the ability or not the ability does the strategy of building s sequentially give you leave you open for potential I don't know um, discontent. If you're the last community uh, <laughs> served, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I would say we've had. There's been some frustration expressed from the community, the portions of the community that didn't get it as quickly as as we had hoped. But I, you know, um, it's interesting, and I think this just uh, this actually just speaks to the success of the project. When we started the project, the message that we sent to the community was, "This is going to take a year." So never did we communicate initially that we'll start connecting some people in six months and other people are going to take a year. We said this project is going to take a year to build. So the expectation was, hey, the fiber network will be ready in June of 2015. Well, from a 
from a construction efficiencies perspective and also, um, frankly, to start getting revenue streams flowing to cover the debt service that we're going to have for this build, <clears throat> we, we came up with this strategy of dividing the city up into these segments. And then, as, as you mentioned, Craig, what we did was kind of a sequence build. We said, start on zone one and get everything done in zone one. Is, and then, so basically, you know, the, the drilling crews would come in and they'd place conduit and they were focused almost entirely on zone one. And then when the conduit was placed, the drill crews would move up to zone two and they'd start working zone two and then to zone three and then to zone four. And as they, as they moved through the zones, the cable placers would follow them and the guy, they would come and pull the cable in. And then the splicers would follow them and they'd come and get all, everything spliced up. And then the drop crews would follow them and come get the drops up to the house. Well, as soon as zone one was done, um, we started rolling on getting those customers installed and active because that, that segment of the network was pretty much complete. And that happened in... Um, October of 2014. So we started construction in June, and by October, we had um, probably almost a thousand, a little over a thousand homes actually, pretty much ready to go for service. They were the network was complete there. Um, so that it has, it, it, it's created. Uh, I wouldn't say discontent. It's created excitement. And what we see now is people from Zone Four have been calling saying, "Oh, I heard fiber's ready. When are we going to have it at our house?" And we've been able to just explain, well, this is the process. And I pretty much run through what I just explained to you, that this is how it works. This is the, the phasing that they're going through, and it'll be ready in your neighborhood approximately this month or whatever, um, you know, kind of give them a time expectation. And overall, most people have been very happy with that. Everybody understands, hey, this is a pretty major build, and we're still going to meet our deadline of saying that the project would be completed within a year. But it has definitely generated a lot of excitement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I'd like to add. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Josh. Oh. Oh, I'd just like to add, you know, um, a little bit of the uh, same perspective, but with a little bit different slant to it as well. Um, going along with that, when people, we've been talking about fiber for a couple of years as we try to figure out how to finance it and how to um, how to build it um, for getting it to the price points we wanted. We were very dogmatic about our price points that we wanted to hit for our 100 meg or gig service. Um, and so it took a, a little while. So we'd have been talking about it. So there's some excitement there. Um, but when people saw paint on the street, they thought fiber was going to be at their house in a week, you know, and they'd be surfing on gig fiber in a week. Well, when the drill crews came through and ripped up all the yards, because we went by 100% of all the houses in Sandy, um, then they're like, okay, our fiber is going to be here. Okay, well, you just ripped up our yard. Where's our fiber? We want our internet. And so it built up the excitement. Positive excitement is an excitement going <laughs> Look, you ripped it up a month ago. Where is it? You know, <laughs> you were, you know, hang on. We we got all these, like Joe explained, these different pieces that have to go in place. And I have to say, you know, Joe has done amazing work, and the crews, and we've been working with a group called OFS. Um, you know, have done amazing. To think that you can do the entire city in one year um, is pretty um, ambitious, I think. But you get people going, but you ripped up my yard four months ago. Why why can I get the fiber yet? Well, because the splicing crews, you know, as time went on, the first people that got it, you know, we just had them lined up ready to go, but the boring crews got farther ahead than the people running the fiber, and then people were able to splice, and then the installation. I mean, if you think about how long it takes to install into a home, and, you know, that's not as quickly as, you know, boring down, you know, two blocks of street passing, you know, 20 homes, um, which you might be able to do in a day, but, you know, to install 
um, each house will take time. So I think that's where um, um, it has built some excitement, some good excitement, um, but I think there's been some frustrations of people's unrealistic expectation about, hey, you 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 pass the thing saying we're going to get fiber, you know, it's two minutes later, where is it, you know, type mentalities. Um, we're, we live in a in a society where, you know, we eat fast food and we want our food, you know, if we wait one minute longer in the drive through lane, we get frustrated, right? If our right. email gets to us two seconds later, it we're frustrated. And so um, I think that's kind of some of the things we've had. We went through an amazing year and have done an amazing amount of uh, stuff. I mean, you can see all the gray hair on Joe's head now. Just <laughs> but a lot of stress and a lot of hours and a lot of work going into it. And uh, but for the average homeowner, it's like, where is it? You ripped up my yard, you know. Where's my fiber? And it's like you got to wait a little bit longer. You got to wait a little, you know. And so I think just having a, a better way of communicating. I don't know how that is because we communicated. I thought a lot um, on the realistic expectations. Um, I think you can give them the realistic expectations, but I don't know if people will re- really sink into everyone um, in that process, but. So, just a different side of the perspective. Right. And it could be, um, as I've talked to other communities that have been building uh, over the last, uh, uh, I'd say, the last year in particular, because the, the pressure has been kind of fermented by Google and what have you, and that um, management of expectations is the biggest hurdle you know, and if you're successful, it's almost like you you take a double hit because because you've gotten started, you've gotten funded, you've gotten you know everything going uh, ahead of schedule. Then all of a sudden, it's like the the like you just described. You know, you get more people than clamoring for it, and it's a difficult time to. Because you want to defer, you want to you want to keep that momentum going, and you want people to stay engaged. But at the same time, you don't want them, you know, driving your your you know your your crews crazy, trying to you know get what is an unrealistic you know schedule sometimes. And I'm sure that's rough. But we're huh. well. Then there is that. There's definitely the opposite side. Um, now, you guys clearly have um, a, a, a tight bond between the city council and um, staff. Of the things that you have done, in a general sense, what kind of advice would you give to other uh, communities you know, and again, you know, it's going to move that some bit. It's a little bit redundant because I know we talked about this before, but I can't emphasize this enough about you know that that harmony thing. What do you think? You know, of the things that you've done, well, both the good and and maybe not as good. How do you you know how would you do this better in terms of uh, the 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 city, the staff? Uh, the the mayor, the city manager, how that how do you make that come together? Hmm. How do you make it I, better than what we've done already? 
Well, you guys have done a good job. Like, of the things that you've done, you know, uh, which ones would you say, definitely do this and this and this, you know, maybe you don't want to do this and this, you know, what, what kinds of advice would you give? I mean, it's like pure, pure counseling at this moment. <laughs> I could I could take well, a crack at that initially if you'd like. Okay. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Uh the probably the biggest thing for me is that I I know that council trusts me as staff and I know that the city manager trusts me as his staff and the level of freedom that they give me is is amazing. And you know, I would say that a good strategy to to employ uh, as an elected board or elected body is set a goal and then hire people that you trust to meet that goal and give them the freedom to do it. So, you know, we've, we've came to council as from a staff perspective, we came to council several times with several ideas that were sometimes pretty crazy and said, we think this is worth a shot. Can you, can we run with it? And, and they pretty much always said, explore it. Let's see what we can do. Figure it out. And they, they were just, uh, over and over again, they were faithful to that idea of we've set this goal and we're going to give you the reins and, and figure out how to accomplish it. Um, and, you know, like, like Jeremy mentioned before, it took us, it, I, I often say it took me three years of beating my head against the wall and just going back to the drawing board over and over again to come up with all these crazy ideas of how can we make this work um, until we were finally able to, to find a partner in OFS that, that – uh, kind of jumped on board with our craziness and said, you know, this is what we want the cost of this network to be, and this is the goal, and, and they, they saw the vision and they understood, and, and we were able to find a solution that worked. But having a council that is not constantly micromanaging and is not uh, frustrated that it took three years, they could have easily become frustrated and said, you're not meeting our goals, and, and you know, let's find somebody else who can. Um, but they were, they were patient, and they were encouraging in the progress we were making, and just stayed the course and said, this is a goal, let's just keep working at it until you can meet it, and we finally did. Hmm. Okay. I'd like to add, you know, when we started, when I first got on council, um, you know, we had an intern, and basically our city manager was kind of doing in IT, you know, in a small city, and because it just wasn't that um, that big yet or anything. And so I started off right off the bat going, we need to get um, – we need to get a dedicated, you know, IT uh, staff uh, person that ended up being Joe. But when we went out to interview, I mean, we had, I think, 60 people apply, and we interviewed, I don't know, way too many people, you know, how interviewing goes. Um, and a lot of people with, you know, the resumes looked amazing, but yet you could tell in an interview it, it wasn't a fit, right? And uh, uh-huh. that when we came across, you know, Joe there, we all agreed this Wow, what a you know what a perfect fit for our community, our city, our culture in our city um, as well, and uh, you know we could just see you know this is going to work out well. So a recommendation is you know find you know staff is so important to making it uh, work or not work. You make it or break it with the person that you hire, um, and so we obviously made it because we hired you know a great person that was able to. Um, to be able to go with it, understand what we need, um, and understand the culture and and what the job requirements were. This is not a eight to five type job with an hour lunch. This you know this type of job, no matter where you're at, you, you know you're working fifteen hour plus 
days. I mean, this is not you're thinking about it all the time. I mean, to make it actually work, you want someone with passion and uh, and that has a passion uh, for their quality of work they do, but also a passion for what you want as an end goal. And ours was, you know, it's our ISP and, and being able to um, be successful and grow it and get to a point where we're kind of getting now where we can actually start doing some cool, amazing things because of our fiber. So that would be a huge um, thing I can recommend is making sure that you're able to hire that, that staff person um, that is going um, to really uh, grow and work in your environment. Uh-huh. That's a... Um yeah, that's a that's a big one right there. I think because you you're asking people who are we referring to like city council, you're asking them to t- have faith in both the people and also the technology because no one really understands what this technology really is. I mean, you, the, they can talk about it, they can spout off, yeah, we were we're getting a gig and all this other kind of stuff, but people really don't know. So what that means, they don't really know what what's going to come. They're not sure, you know, what this is supposed to achieve for us and so forth. And so you gotta have to have a certain level of trust in order to make this thing work. And it's both trust in the um, the, the your people, but also the certain amount of trust. trust that the technology will work, which luckily, fiber being what fiber is, you know, once you build it, it's generally going to work if you, you know, built it right, and or even with wireless and so forth. So, you know, but I but I think that that, that trust is a big, definitely is a big factor. No, no doubt about that one. Um, what about the 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 state? I want to talk about this just for a second. Not that you guys have a lot of stuff going on personally you know, interacting with the the state. But the state legislatures in other um in other states particularly, like there's about ten, twenty that have regu- uh, that have regu- restrictions, you know, but the potential for a state legislature or a couple of people within the state legislature to get in out of get out of um I don't know, out of control, you know, that's always a possibility. Do you guys have some thoughts or at least observations of what you've seen here or there in Oregon, you know, how you can kind of deal with or minimize minimize some of that kind of frustration? I think we've been very fortunate um in Oregon to have a state legislature that Actually, um, and I, I am by no means an expert on state law, um, but my understanding is that there was, I think 12 or 13 years ago, there was an attempt to stop municipal ISPs uh, from, you know, to, to to enact those restrictions, as you said, Craig, like other states have. Mm-hmm. And uh, fortunately for us at that time, Oregon had the foresight to say, no, we think that, you know, local choice is good. And um, was it did, did not go through with that, that type of legislation. Um, and I, you know, my my belief and message to to any state that's looking at restricting uh, a network initiative like this is that it's just a plain bad idea. You should, to me, local 
the local option is critical and necessary. And that doesn't mean that it has to be a municipal network, but it certainly could be a municipal network. And I think, um, you know, one thing that Jeremy often likens uh, or, or points to as an example is our citizens, if, if we were to do something like, say we raised our rates by 50% and did something crazy and stupid like that, um, our citizens could come into council within two weeks because we meet the first and third Monday of the week, council, get, council meets, and it's an open public meeting, and those citizens could come in and say, I'm unhappy with this and this is why. And they're talking to the policymakers that set that policy. Now, if council... Um, they're they're accountable to these citizens, and if they don't if they don't do something to make the constituents happy, then they won't get reelected. So uh, having that having that local choice and that local accountability is huge, in my opinion, and and we're fortunate that um, our state has recognized that, and I I would hope that other states would see the value and benefit there as well. Mm-hmm. Now I know. Because Jeremy and I run it in the same conferences, and, and I'm sure Joe, you got to go do your, your your share as well. But from what you're seeing of other communities, do you have a sense that um, the issue of a public network or a public-private partnership that this is mainly a bipartisan exercise? At least at the local level. Yeah, I think at a local level, you know, we're nonpartisan, um, and Sandy at least. Um, And I don't believe this is a uh, partisan issue. Um, And I think I'm seeing that more and more across um, all over the the country. You know, when it comes down to the local, you know, it's just like is water and sewer – a partisan issue, you know. I look at it. This is a, a like water and sewer, storm streets, you know, electricity. You know, these are things that we need. Uh, utilities um, that we need, and we count on, and we do commerce, and we do uh, entertainment, and uh, we do our life on the internet nowadays. I mean, you wouldn't have thought that 20 years ago, but we do today, and so um, it, it crosses, you know, both sides of the aisle. So. Um, as I see across the nation and been able to speak to a lot of cities, a lot of people call um, asking, how did you do what you do, and, you know, talking with them. And I see them on both sides of the aisle. This isn't, um, you know, a Democrat or Republican type of issue. Um, I think at the higher levels as you go, everything becomes uh, partisan. Um, and uh, that's unfortunate in some, in most cases. Um, but um you know, for, you know, broadband, Internet, you know, uh, this is like a highway system. You know, we're not driving trucks down it. We're driving bits and packets down it. Um, and it doesn't care, um, you know, what your political beliefs are. Um, <laughs> so that's how I kind of I look at it. Also, I've seen this, um, you know, I go a lot of conferences and I see you a lot of places um, as well, Craig. And this, when I was at Austin, the Gigafy America um, conference there, I realized, you know, speaking with a bunch of different um, places all over the nation, it was a great conference, amazing conference. Was I feel like we're on this tipping um, point of uh, of a 
a wave that's going to flood across the entire nation. And I think you'll see in the next five, ten years that you're going to have so many more municipal um, ISPs or uh, co-ops or other people coming together and saying, hey, we're not getting this from our incumbents. We're going to do it ourselves. Um, or the incumbents are going to start stepping up and providing the same type of uh, service. But I think this wave is is just ready to break and, and crush across all over the United States um, um, from small and large. And I think the smaller communities, mid-sized smaller communities, have a much easier than the large cities like Portland, who is near us, um, when it comes to um, the the political aspect of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, is there another um, uh, fiber or gigabit network in Oregon, like actually existing? I know Portland is planning to do it, but I'm wondering about the, the landscape of the the state. Well, Portland's been wanting. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, Portland's been wanting to do it um, and trying to figure that out. Um, but there's a couple other ones. MyNet, I believe, is doing um, uh, gig fiber down there. I think Ashland. Is that right, Joe? Is Ashland doing it? Yeah, Ashland um, built a HFC network quite a while back, and and uh, has been pointed to as a bad example of a of a municipal effort, unfortunately. But they are, I, I believe, they're still operating that network, and I'm not sure mm-hmm. what the status on it is currently. Mm-hmm. Well, what was the other city you mentioned? Mylet, Mal- Malmeth Independence. They call it MyNet. Ah. It's actually a it's actually a cooperation of two cities. So Mon- the city of Monmouth and the city of Independence came together and built a network. Okay. That's uh, and they've been they've been around they've been around longer than us and I think just recently started offering a gigabit. Um, oh wow! Their pricing not as not as competitive as ours. Let me let me say that. I, I believe that we are by far the cheapest gigabit in the state and maybe the nation at fifty nine ninety five for a synchronous gig, mm-hmm. with no caps or restrictions. But um, and then we there's a couple other private providers too uh, that are doing gig now, aren't there, Jeremy? Like isn't Cambytel doing a gig offering? Yeah, so they're a, a cooperative, and um, they've advertised that they're doing um, gig. Uh, my understanding is it's not in their entire footprint um, of where they offer, um, but uh, I think they have um, ambitions to to get there as well. Um, and uh, I think some other co-ops are, are are looking at doing the exact same thing. I think there's a co-op out of Philoma um, um, doing it as well. Are looking at trying to do that. So, but as far as municipal type ISPs, um, I'm not aware of any of theirs than ours that are doing gig. Okay. In my net. Okay, gotcha. Uh, we got about five minutes left. I want to um, ask a question about uh, you. You mentioned uh, you know that you've got one example of two cities coming together. Is there a chance that we'll see more uh, of, of two or more communities coming in partnership versus people like, you know, doing their, in, their, their own thing. Yeah, I think, I think in some cases it makes a lot of sense uh, to do that. But I would I would also say um, one of the things that I believe makes SandyNet so successful is the fact that we are local. And, you know, our our support response, for example, a lot of times a customer will call us and they're having an issue with something on their computer. And rather than trying to solve it over the phone, which is often complex and difficult, 
we're a small community and we have the advantage of being able to just say, oh, I'll just drive over. And a lot of times I do this myself, even though I'm the, the IT director or the general manager of Sandy, you know, this big lofty title, I'll drive out to a customer's house and fix somebody's computer um, just because it's easy and it's, and it's a great service to be able to provide to our customers. So, you know, in that sense, I think there's a, there's a lot of stuff that you gain from being a small local community. And mm-hmm. if you start... Um, if you start becoming too ambitious, ambitious to expand into surrounding areas, I think you can you risk losing that, and uh, that's something that I've been weighing a lot recently because there has been inquiries. I wouldn't say uh, any formal requests, but there have been inquiries from surrounding communities to say, "Hey, why don't you guys come provide service over here?" And the challenges that that presents are uh, significant compared to just running in a single community, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, I'd have to agree. You'd have to be very careful because. You know, like Joe pointed out, the advantages of how uh, we have being so local, size-wise, even if we hired people inside another community and ran that, what we don't have is that necessarily direct connection with that council um, that we have here. And so I would say it could be possibly done. You just want to form your your understanding of... um, of what is expected and not expected, you know, for that community. And maybe even just brand it differently. Maybe you share back-end type things, like how you buy your ISP and your BGP routers and those type of things collectively, but then they have their um, own, you know, staff members that work over, you know, they're doing the customer support and that type of thing and how contracts are, are done, you know, with that city so that those citizens there have that direct tie to their counselors who, um, you know, help make and break, you know, um, change those fee structures or what, you know, what it's going to be like. The the advantages that we get so that they aren't losing out on those advantages and they aren't draining out on, say, Sandy's advantages onto some other communities, if that makes any sense. So I think there are, and I think we'll see a lot more because Sandy has created a big buzz in our area, and we've had a lot of local cities coming around saying, hey, we want to do this, but we don't know where to start. And so some of them are trying to work together and work with us in ideas and ideas and things like that, not to say that you know we'd be providing that services, but just giving them some advice and um, how that would look. And uh, so I think that we'll see more and more of that. And, you know, it's not a bad solution. I just uh, would be very cautious on um, how it's implemented and making sure okay. that people look at some of those advantages that we get that you might end up losing. Right. We're basically with you at the end of our time here. Um, I want to thank both of you, Jer- Jerry and <laughs> Sorry, Jerry, Jeremy, um, and That's Joe. Good. Thank you for being our guest today and uh, giving us a lot of good thoughts about how to deal with you know, the politics of broadband. And, and I think that you guys, again, have done a good job in this area and uh, as well as, you know, building a very good network. A network is, is considered, uh, it's very considered a be a good um, example of community network support. So I think you guys have done well. And um, so anyway, thanks again for being here. Uh, thank you, our audience, for being listening in And uh, tomorrow we're going to tackle Marketing uh, 101 and Broadband Network. So you want to definitely be there tomorrow as well. Thank you, everyone, and we will talk again soon. Take care. Bye.